This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere Thursday at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Avatar The Last Airbender has been adapted for live action on Netflix as they try to outdo M. Night Shyamalan's story of Aang and his friends. And this show calls him Aang, which means it's already won. Hello everybody, I'm Dan Merle, and this is my review of season one of Avatar The Last Airbender, which debuted just a couple days ago over on Netflix. I am going to be going over the entire first season, including my thoughts on the later episodes, so there will be some spoilers in this review. If you haven't seen all of Avatar, then you can pause this review, go watch it, and then come back. And this adaptation has been long anticipated, not just because the previous adaptation was disappointing, that of course would be M. Night Shyamalan's film, but because this was announced all the way back Back in 2018. Albert Kim is credited as creator and showrunner. The animated series showrunners Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konitzko left the project back in 2020 over creative differences. Now, full disclosure, and this is similar to what we talked about back when One Piece came out last year on Netflix, I have not seen the entirety of the Avatar The Last Airbender animated series. That series debuted back in 2005 when I was a senior in college, and watching an animated show on Nickelodeon wasn't exactly on the top of my radar. Not to say that it wasn't worthy of my attention or that it's just for kids, just that it wasn't quite in that sweet spot for me, and I know a lot of people love this show because they're a little bit younger than I am, and they're kind of amazed that I haven't seen it, but it really just does kind of depend on when you're growing up. Back when I did One Piece, I went in completely cold. I didn't know anything about the show or the lore or the characters or anything like that. This time I decided to do a bit of a hybrid approach. So I watched about the first half of season one of Avatar The Last Airbender, which is what is being adapted in this season of live action television, because I wanted to get a feel for the characters and how they're portrayed in the animated show, but then I intentionally didn't watch the rest of the season because I also wanted to experience some of the story with fresh eyes, or at least eyes that are somewhat fresh. I saw some of the M. Night Shyamalan film. It was actually famously the only movie in the entirety of my work at Honest Trailers that I just couldn't get through. Bring me! All your elderly! Generally, just kind of looking at my overall thoughts, I thought that this was a pretty good show that took a while to get going. I actually think it's good that Netflix did the binge model for Avatar The Last Airbender because I worry that if they were going week to week that people would jump off the train based off of the early episodes. Not that they were terrible, but they weren't exactly the most compelling episodes to keep you coming back week to week, at least not in my opinion. Now, it was obvious, even with my limited knowledge of the animated show, that this was a very liberal adaptation of the first season of Avatar the Last Airbender, and while I'm sure that many fans of the animated show are going to judge this show based on that, and that's their right to do so if it's a very beloved thing for them, I'm really only using that knowledge in my head to inform some of my thoughts on this live action adaptation and not necessarily judge this adaptation by what they used or didn't use from the source material. One of the biggest questions with a high profile adaptation like this is the cast. Are they going to be any good? Are they able to convey the 
spirit of the characters as people know and love them. And really, I think the most important part of that cast would be your main trio of characters, Aang, Katara, and Sokka. And of the main trio, the major standout for me was Ian Ousley as Sokka. There was a lot written about his character based on some media reports about changes that were made, but I felt like he was on point from the very beginning of the show, from episode one, bringing the character's humor to the forefront, but also doing a great job of showing Sokka's insecurity and vulnerability. Sky Bison. Sky Bison. Repeating it doesn't help. Where are you going? To prove you're a jerk. Oh, yeah? Well, I don't need proof of that. Gyawan Dio as Katara got off to a bit of a slow start for me. I wouldn't say that she was bad, but her character felt a little bland until we reached the end of this first season. And I think when it comes to Katara, part of it was the writing of the character, and part of it was an actor who I think was still becoming very comfortable with her character. And that's largely how I also felt about Gordon Cormier's Aang. For most of the season, he reminded me a lot of Daniel Radcliffe in the first Harry Potter movie, which is a movie that I actually really like, in that he's able to act sincere, or whatever the scene calls for, but doesn't really seem to be accessing the emotions that the character would be feeling. I don't want the power. I can't be a... Wizard. It comes off as more of a performance, and I know that sounds weird when we're talking about acting, which is a performance, but you know what I mean. Sometimes there's more of a naturalistic performance, and sometimes you look at someone and you're very conscious that they're acting. And this is actually very, very common with younger actors who are still learning their craft. And even more than Katara, I think that Gordon Cormier really grew into the role of Aang as the season went on, and I think it's been reportedly about 18 months since filming wrapped. And should there be a season two, I think that everybody's positioned pretty well to pick up where they left off, and hopefully we'll be out of these sort of bumpy growing pains of the first few episodes of the season. Two actors that were on point for me from the first moment were Dallas Liu as Prince Zuko and Paul Sun Hyung Lee as Uncle Iroh. Obviously, there's a lot in the source material that I'm not familiar with, but I really felt their connection incredibly strongly, even in the early parts of the story. He's a coward! I don't know about that, but it's clear that this avatar is not what you nor anyone else would have expected. There's so much that's unspoken between these two characters, and it is shown through a combination of the performances, which I thought were really strong, and the decisions to do things like flashback to Uncle Iroh's son's funeral and show the bonding that he had with his nephew at probably the lowest point of his life. Dallas Liu's wounded portrayal of Zuko doesn't undermine, though, the moments where we have to believe that he is brutal or that he has to be threatening. He's a person who has been manipulated and abused for his entire life, and we see that rage and that anger underneath. It really did feel like a character that has been fleshed out on multiple different levels. Paul Sun Hyung Lee adds so much likability as Iroh, but also a deep well of pain. He and Zuko are a great team because they have so much pain in common. And that pain all flows from Daniel Day Kim as Fire Lord Ozai. He casts a very long shadow, which is great because we get the threat from him in just a handful of scenes. The brutality of his duel with Zuko does more than four episodes worth of lesser written material would have done. Daniel Day Kim was a great choice for this role. He's very strong in the part. And we see his effect on Azula, his daughter, played by Elizabeth Yu, who looks to figure into the next season in a big way. You're perfect. It's not good enough. 
I'm sure that fans of the animated show know a lot more about the rivalry between Azula and Zuko and how it plays out in later seasons, but I love how they're both manipulated by Ozai to serve his own purposes, not really even for their own good. He is an eminently selfish person, and nobody can really see it except for people like Iroh, who are a little bit more removed from the situation. And the whole Fire Nation storyline is much deeper and darker than I think a lot of people would have expected from this series, including myself. The Fire Nation was well cast and acted all around and gave us a few strong antagonists. Ken Leung as Zhao also deserves a lot of credit and really toes the line between chewing the scenery and feeling legitimately threatening. How much of a threat will the Avatar be once I eliminate waterbending from the world? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So let's move on from the cast to the season overall. And I feel like when you talk about television, this is something that's been around for a long time, and you talk about pilot episodes or first episodes of a series, they have a reputation as being either the best episode of a series or the worst episode of a series because there's a lot that a pilot has to do. You have to introduce so many characters and do so much world building from the ground up, even if you're doing an adaptation like Avatar The Last Airbender. And sometimes storytelling is what gets sacrificed in order to do that. And that's what I felt about episode one of this season, which was called Aang. I thought that it was the worst episode of the season, which is both a very bad thing, but also not a terrible thing considering it's all uphill from there. In addition to some spotty acting from the leads, I think it also felt forced to have the kid's grandmother, Grand Grand, deliver the famous Avatar opening monologue. The four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. And there was also a weird exchange of dialogue that was nearly a word-for-word -word lift from Man of Steel. Can't I just keep pretending I'm your friend? You are my friend. Can't I just keep pretending I'm your son? You are my son. Ultimately, episode one did what it needed to do, which was to introduce these characters, and we got to episode two, which I thought was actually a big step up from the first episode. And I know that there was a lot of talk in the media about toning down Sokka's attitude toward girls in the show, but I still felt like he was humbled when he visited the Kyoshi Warriors in this episode, and I liked his rapport with Suki and both of their pressures about having to protect their communities. Episode 2 is where we also had the meeting between Aang and Avatar Kyoshi, and I kind of like how all the Avatars were a little annoyed at Aang for not living up to his duties thus far. Avoid your duties any longer, and not only will you fail to save the world, you won't even be able to save this island. We also got a great action scene where Kyoshi unleashes the full powers of the Avatar, a little preview of Aang's potential. And I've seen some criticism of the computer effects in the series. I actually didn't really have a problem with them. They were cartoonish in many ways, but this is an adaptation of the cartoon, and I felt that it kept with the aesthetic of the show. There were a few shots that I looked at and said, oh, that looks kind of bad. But I think being able to recognize that they're CGI effects and them being bad CGI effects are two different things. And 
given the fact that we are very heightened in the sort of things that are being portrayed in the show, it didn't really bother me that much in very many places. The middle of the season, plot-wise, as the actors were sort of growing into their characters, is where it started to feel a little blobby, for lack of a better word. It's where it felt like the writers wanted to adapt as many different things from the animated series as they could, and so they started just sort of throwing them all together in different places. And I think a good example of that is the third episode of the season, which was called Umashu, that also brought in characters like Sai and his son Teo, Jet and the Freedom Fighters, and then turned into a two-parter that actually just told a mostly new story in the next episode. I actually don't envy the job of having to decide what you're going to include and what you're not going to include when you're adapting a beloved series like this one because you know that anything that you leave out is going to infuriate people. I saw people that sounded like they were ready to riot if cabbages had been eliminated uh, from this episode that is set in Omashu. So I, I'm not saying that it is an easy job, but I just think structurally, it might've made more sense to hew a little bit closer to the source material, have one episode that's set in Omashu, and then if you wanna bring in Jet and these other characters, maybe move them to a different place, maybe a place that's not canon in the animated series, where you can bring those people in for their own storyline that's not kind of jammed together with a new one. Regardless, in episode four, we did get the fight between Aang and his friend Bumi, now the aged king of Omashu, Utkarsh Ambudkar did, I think, a great job in the role of the king, which I think is about as cartoonish as this live-action show got. Maybe I just wanted a bite of rock candy. <laughs> It's not always easy to take that leap of faith and go that broad, but it fit into what the show is trying to do. And I also like that the fourth episode is where you saw Aang really beginning to take control of his own destiny and challenge what other people thought was his role as the Avatar and how he should be doing things. You think like a child. Is that really so bad? The fourth episode had the Aang King Boomy fight, but it also had some great Zuko Uncle Iroh backstory, including Iroh's son Lu Ten's funeral, as well as the day that Zuko was exiled and joined by Iroh on his trip to find the Avatar. I don't need a babysitter. How about a friend? I've got a lot more Avatar The Last Airbender to talk about, but before we do, I want to thank the sponsor for this video. This video is brought to you by The Perfect Gene. I wear jeans all the time, like literally all the time, even during the summer, and I'm always looking for a pair that's comfortable and that actually, you know, fits. I actually really have a hard time finding jeans that fit well, but I'm happy to say that I found that fit with the perfect jean. I got a pair of athletic fit jeans to try and wore them when I traveled this past week. First of all, they were great for a plane ride. The fabric is soft and stretchy and they made cramming myself into a tiny airplane seat as tolerable as possible. And they also have great pockets, big enough to handle everything I carry with me as well as a literal pocket Star Trek book that I carried with me to read during my downtime. The Perfect Jean makes six fits from skinny to thick and they have waist sizes from 26 to 50 and lengths from 26 to 38. So whatever your size is, they got you. I can honestly say that this is one of the most comfortable pairs of jeans that I've ever worn and listeners and viewers here on the channel get 15% off of their first order by going to theperfectjean.nyc. That's 15% off your first order plus free shipping, free returns, and free exchanges when you use code DAN15 at checkout. That's 15% off for new customers at theperfectjean.nyc with promo code DAN15. That's D-A-N-1. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them, so please support our show and tell them that we sent you F your khakis and get 
the perfect gene. There are creatures in here that will do far more than devour your body. They'll eat your soul. Episode 5, Spirited Away, had a solid horror movie vibe. Code the Face Stealer was a legitimately creepy villain. Some great character design and execution there. And we also got a creative way to do flashbacks as Katara and Sokka are taken back to their darkest moments. I also like that we got a reunion between Aang and Gyatso that gives the viewers a little bit of closure over their relationship, which we really only saw briefly. And it also allows Aang to let himself off the hook for not being there when the airbenders were wiped out by the Fire Nation. It's not your fault. So, let go. Episode 5 is really where the show began to pick up for me. The only criticism I'd really have is similar to what I just talked about, which is that I would have made this episode, Episode 5, a standalone episode. Because when you make it a two-parter and you send Aang off to the Fire Nation to go find Avatar Roku, you're basically sidelining Katara and Sokka for an entire episode, and I miss them when they weren't there. I understand that you do have to send Aang out on his own, because he does have to learn how to function without that support system from time to time. But I think there's a way that you could have done that without sidelining those two characters for an entire episode because in a season that's only eight episodes long I miss them not being there and this six episode masks really belongs to Prince Zuko as we see flashbacks to his failure at the first war council meeting as well as the duel between him and his father that left him scarred humiliated and exiled compassion is a sign of weakness the best villains are the ones that you can understand. You don't have to agree or condone, but if you understand why they're doing what they're doing, then they become that much more interesting. And I really think that Prince Zuko got a great shake from the writers this season. I thought that his character was really, really well done and well written. This is also where we see the ascendance of Zhao and the disloyalty of Zuko's crew because of his abusive behavior toward them. There's this saying that hurt people hurt people. And I think that that's really the story of Zuko this season. I think we see so much of his backstory, not because we're being asked to let him off the hook, but because the show is helping us to see why he does what he does and really how it blows up in his face. And if you ask anyone here, they'll tell you, he may be a prince, but he's not our prince. We also get a quiet scene with Aang and Zuko after Zuko rescues Aang from the Fire Nation. It's a well-written version of the old, we're not so different you and I scene from any number of villain hero meetups. But it's well acted and it's one of the first times this season that I felt like Gordon Cormier had a really strong hold on his character. If we knew each other back then, do you think we could have been friends? Episode 7 and 8 were, I thought, the two strongest episodes of the season. And listen, if you're going to go out, why not go out on a high note? The assault on Agnikella felt like it had real stakes, some surprising turns, and an actual turning point for each of our main characters that brought their story arcs for the season to a close. For Katara, we had her desire to train with the men, only to be told that women must only be trained as healers. You're an excellent waterbender. But you still won't let me fight. No. And really what this does is only motivate her to become better. And we begin to see just how well she is mastering the art of waterbending. Sokka gets a romantic storyline with Princess Yue. And I was excited to see that Amber Midthunder, who I thought was great in Prey, would be in this show. Her character is another one that I think could have used a little bit more development. And I almost wish that we would have gotten to the North 
maybe one episode sooner so we'd have just that much more time to spend with everybody there and to get invested, particularly in Sokka and UA, because we're asked to spend a lot of emotional capital on this relationship between the two of them. And it does feel rushed. I think it's important for Sokka to learn that he can't always protect everyone and that sometimes he just has to do his best. I also like his development this season from believing he can only be a warrior to understanding that he's capable of so much more. All of Aang's pain and anger so far culminates with him merging with the ocean spirit in the final episode. I liked how the season was setting up this concept that there's one way to be the Avatar, and the only way that you can do it is alone, that you have to give up all connections, and that you must sacrifice everything in order to do your job properly. And it seems like they're proven right when Aang sacrifices his sense of self to become this vengeful ocean spirit for all eternity, but it's ultimately love and friendship that pull him back for the brink, and he now understands the importance of the people that he works with. It's classic hero's journey type stuff, but there's a reason that stories come back to these beats over and over again, and it's because they work. And I think that this season really benefited from a finale that, for me, worked on every level. And I think that people often remember what they saw last. And when you end on a good episode, I think that that gets people more excited to tell their friends to watch the show and also to maybe forget about some of the rougher stuff at the beginning. I also like that we end the season with Zuko completely demoralized and aimless. You don't always have to leave your characters on an upbeat note. And it's obvious that even with Zhao gone, his words about Azula being Ozai's real heir will stick with Zuko for a long time. You were the fire in which her iron was forged. That's all you were. And so going into season two, we have Azula rising, having captured Omashu for the first time in generations. And we have the impending arrival of Sozin's Comet, a ticking clock that wasn't really addressed much this season, but will obviously be a big plot point as Aang continues his training or really starts his training going forward. Anyone else hungry? Why is everything always about your stomach? Because it's where his brain is. Oh, says the kid with the melon head. Overall, I think that there's a lot of promise in this show. Now, I doubt that anybody is going to put it above or even on the same level as the animated show, even the parts that I saw, but it's also a different kind of show. And I think that for a younger audience that maybe hasn't even seen the original animated series, this show could be their avatar, and I think it's worthy. I think it shares enough of the DNA and the things that are right about these characters of being called their version of Avatar. I don't think that you're asking a younger generation to endorse an inferior product necessarily. The fact that it ended on a high note is good, and hopefully the creative team can look at what worked and what didn't work, what fans responded to and what they didn't respond to as they craft what might be a season two if it gets that pickup, if the viewership is high enough. And I hope that as they move forward, if they do, what they'll focus on is what from the original source material serves to tell the story that they are telling in this live action adaptation. I hope they worry a little bit less about grabbing this, that, and the other from the animated show and a little bit more about including what they need to tell for their version. It's never going to measure up or include everything that's in the animated version. That's just an impossible task. So focus on making your version the best version of the show that you want to make. Halfway through, this would have rated an It's Fine 
fine on my personal scale, but the second half plus some great performances bump it up into an overall it's good for season one with, as I said, a lot of room for improvement. So those are my thoughts on Avatar The Last Airbender. What do you think? Let me know down in the comments below. And as always, stay tuned right here on the channel. I've got award season recaps, box office as always, reviews, movie news, all the stuff that we usually do. Thank you so much for watching the show. Thank you to The Perfect Gene for sponsoring the show. And I'll see you next time. Bye.